This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the From the Back Tees podcast, the podcast from the back tees. I am Jerry Lou. With me, as always, is Zach Penser, founder of From the Back Tees. Zach, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I am all right. I am down one tooth, but don't nobody worry about me. Had a little impromptu, uh, well, it wasn't impromptu, it was a few weeks of uh, dental issues coming to fruition, but uh, had to be dealt with today, and um, yeah, I uh, managed to pull the gauze out of the mouth, the mouth for the first time to uh, make sure we got this done. So, And now you got the your- tooth, and the girlfriend's ecstatic. Oh yeah, I got the yeah, I got the tooth right here. It's been, uh, you know, I, I don't think I'll make a necklace out of it because I think I still see my flesh on the root. And maybe one day, if somebody can see the archives of this, like I had this out in my hand earlier, like I was playing around with it like it was a little marble. Because there's, sorry folks at home, you can't see it and it's probably disgusting. But 15 years ago, oh actually, funny story. We're recording this on July 1st, 2019. July 2nd, 2009 was the day I got out of the military. So tomorrow's my 10 year anniversary of being a civilian. Oh, wow. And it's been a lot of fun. Um, but anyways, when I was in the service, they said I had low grooves in my molars, so they filled them up with a sealant, much like a filling. And then about three years ago, when I was sitting at my desk at Tech Support, uh, working at Foresight down in San Diego, I think I was chewing some gum, and I felt like part of my tooth come out. And it turns out it was just a little chunk of the sealant. I'm like, oh, that's no big deal. It doesn't hurt. But I realized, oh, now there's a hole in my tooth. And as my dentist said earlier today, he's just like, yeah, once that hole opened up, there's no way you can keep it clean. And for the past three weeks, I've been feeling incredible head pain, jaw pain, like there was definitely an infection that was going around there. So when I woke up this morning super early, I was like, yeah, today's the day to uh, remove it. So regardless, we're here to record a show. The beat goes on no matter what. Is there one band in Dune Central dentist? (laughs) No. uh, Well, that's the thing. I most of our caddies, I'd probably say like 90 percent of our caddy lot. When they when they're residing in this county for the for their work per, uh, purposes, ninety percent of them reside in Bandon, and I would say eight to nine percent of them reside in Coos Bay, North Bend, which is about thirty minutes north because that's like the big quote city in the area of thirty thousand people. And then uh, I live in Coquille, and I think I'm one of me and Craig Prouse are the only two caddies that live in Coquille, and he moved to Coquille when he made a bunch of money and bought a house. So I mean, it's a uh, I wouldn't say there's a uh, there isn't a uh, caddy dentist, so to speak. I mean, in this area, I walk around with like my band and dude zip up hoodie or like a three quarter zip uh, shirt or whatever with a logo on it. And some people still don't understand what that logo means in the county. A lot of people ask like travelers, people who come in and golf, they're just like, so what kind of economic boon has uh, has uh, band and dunes golf resort been to the county? I'm like, none. Yes, it provides hundreds of minimum wage jobs. No, maybe even a thousand. I don't know. But minimum wage doesn't grow anything. And usually a lot of minimum wagers don't work full time, or at least the ones I'm aware of in the golf industry. So with the exception of three to four hundred of us caddies making a ton of bank and putting it back in the economy, nobody knows anything about like Bandon Dunes may as well be the fucking bat cave in Coos County just because it's right there and nobody knows about it. And meanwhile, while we have guests on property, they ask where, where should we go to dinner? It's like, honestly, we have enough good restaurants on property that are equally priced or cheaper than things in town. And mind you, we don't pay much for when it comes like gasoline's expensive in Oregon just because it's the West Coast. But it's like if you were to go to Bandon to like the most five star restaurant and order the nicest steak they had, you're still probably only paying 40 bucks. And it's a nice steak. It's a nice place. But I mean, I've had $120 steaks and that was a la carte in some cities where it's just like, oh, yeah, you're drinking your tatos come separate. So so uh, long story boring. I don't have a um, uh, the an in-house cat an in-house dentist. No, no. How long does no it take you to commute to work? Well, for me, commuting, um, like 15 minutes, 20 okay. minutes, it's, it's a nice little drive. It's like four, three mile segments that are all equally length. And, uh, but I, I have been joking with some golfers the past couple weeks, just asking each one, I'm like, Hey, is there a dentist in the group? And if they say no, I'm like, well, you can just punch me in the side of the head really hard with like, like Tom Hanks with the ice skate and castaway. That's one of my favorite movies. I can't watch that scene where he does. Have you seen castaway? Nope. Oh, dog. Two. Oh, well I can, I can spoil this part for you because well, here's the movie. It's a man stranded on an island. Anyways, oh, that um, seems like a good movie. I should watch it. 
I remember Martin Short as Jiminy Glick saying years ago, he's just like, I heard Tom Hanks is hard to work with. That's why they couldn't get anyone cast with Nick Castaway. It's like, I thought that was a funny joke, but um, um, there's a part where, like, even before he gets on this plane that crashes in the ocean or whatever, uh, Tom Hanks is, is at a Christmas dinner with his fiance and he's complaining about a toothache. And I'm just kind of like, on one hand, when I watch it going, that's a very old-fashioned problem, but that's also very, oh, shit, when you have that, you have to address it. Like, it's like it's debilitating sometimes. So, Smash Cut to he's stranded on, the, on this, uh, this uh, tropical island and a few weeks in, like, he can see it's infected. He's got this tooth that's just, like, terrible and, like, of all the sh- stuff that, like, kind of washes ashore from his wreck, he finds... Because it was a it was a uh, it was a UPS or FedEx flight. Sorry, folks at home. I know it's one of those two specifically. Like he was a courier for or a bigwig for one of those companies. But anyways, a couple boxes washed ashore, and one of them was uh, ice skates, which was like an ironic thing for him to find. He's taking inventory, and he pers- and it's, I love this movie. It's the one part of the movie I can't watch where he proceeds to do self dentistry on himself, where he takes the ice skate and Are sticks it up here, I guess up in his mouth, and he has a rock. And he's like going like this, like one, two, and he like pink and like knocks the tooth out and he passes out. I mean, oh my god! I was afraid that like I was gonna look at some golf and be like, take your nine iron, just, just and take two balls, just hold on, here we go. And that's what you thought they do to you. That's what I was hoping they do to me. Oh, and, uh, get it over with. Needless to say, I've caddied for too many attorneys lately. <laughs> or as uh, the quote was on Arrested Development, I got the worst fucking attorneys. So, anyways. Um, yeah, that's uh, we. My my dentist. I'm proud to say his name. Uh, his name is Devin Bryce. Evidently, he bought this gigantic dental practice that has like 16 exam rooms and like multiple dentists there. And when I got there, when I got to my room, there was a gift box with my name on it, Are like you... with a bow and everything. Like this place went above and beyond in terms of like the customer service. That is a fancy dentist. They were treating me like the lady, the I don't want to call her hygienist, but the assistant because I didn't do any cleaning or whatever. She like gave me like this piece of paper that said like, "Did any of these words scare you?" And one said fear, one said budget, one said time. And I'm just kind of like, I see what you guys are doing. I, like, look, if it's really expensive, let me know the price. But we just need to pull this tooth out. That's all we need to do. And he said it'd take thirty minutes. It took five. I just mean, go for the old like, rope in the door. That's what it almost felt like. I swear to God, he had his loafer on my chest at one point, like trying to twist and turn and pull that thing out of there, but. The, uh, the dentist in question who owns the whole place and worked on me, his name's Devin Bryce. And back when I was like 12 or 13 years old or maybe even younger than that, 11, he was in his mid-teens and he was Coquille's number one drummer, percussionist, like he was a musician. Devin Bryce is the man. He was the, a great drummer. And then I was a freshman and he was a senior and we got a new music teacher that he did not like at Coquille High School. So Devin just left. He went to... Coos Bay and went to Marshfield to the 4A school and had a good career there. But when he left, freshman Jerry Luato became the number one drummer for Coquille. Oh, wow. So Shout out I, Jerry Luato. Oh, yeah, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, if it weren't for Devin Bryce, my new dentist and longtime friend, not liking that one teacher and leaving, I probably wouldn't have had a music career for like the next six to seven years. I mean, it, it, like, I would have played backup to his genius and probably just would have like fucked off and not paid attention because I was 14, 15. I'm, I'm in my mid thirties now and I'm just figuring out how to pay attention for crying out loud. So, but anyways, uh, shout out above dentistry, Devin Bryce, my man, Zach, how was your weekend? How are you doing? It was pretty good. We had uh, a long weekend, but the reason for the long weekend is going to be part of the fun fact of the day. So it has to wait or we can just get to it now. Well, well, we can tease that. We'll tease that for later. We got a lot of things to cover here. First and foremost, we are happy if we still are to be a part of Big Heads Podcast Network. Are are we still like? Oh yeah, we haven't been kicked off yet. We're not. We're not like their newest or their hottest anymore, or like even their golfiest baby. I just. I just hope we still have a seat at the table. We're the only golf podcast. All right, that's good. That's good. Got the exclusivity. I, I I do like hearing that. So. um... Uh, really, before we get into like all the stuff that our staff has been unearthing lately and like uh, things going on in the future here, the one thing I think we need to address, even though we've all heard the story over and over and over, is about uh, Lashley. Nate uh, Lashley. Nate, I'm glad he said his first name because I didn't get to watch much golf and I was about to call him Nick, like an idiot. But, um, I mean, if anyone's already not aware of Zach, can you fill us in on what his backstory is? Yeah, so Nate Lashley, he's 36 now. Back in 2004, so I guess, when he was 21, he was at Ohio State, 
Actually, I don't know. I don't want to say for sure. He was at a tournament in Ohio State. Actually, he was at, uh, at no, a tournament he was... in Crosswater in Oregon. He was in so, Oregon. Of course, I have played before, and until pronghorn and banded dunes cropped up crosswater has often been referred to as one of the most beautiful and definitely the most challenging course 18 holes in the state of oregon yeah so he was at ohio state then and his dad i didn't know that i've read a lot of stories i didn't know he was a buckeye yeah so his dad was a pilot had like a cessna plane they all flew together him his dad his mom and his girlfriend to the tournament and nate lashley ended up actually having a great final round to get them into the finals he ended. shot like he shot two under in like a super windy day or something, and a lot of people are like, oh, two under—that's no big deal. Yeah, but if you see some of these conditions, two under is like Charlie Hoffman cranking off a sixty-six at Augusta on a Friday when nobody else is breaking par. Yeah, and then uh, he went to go say goodbye to his family, and horrifically, the plane crashed on the way back. His girlfriend, parents, both passed away. And, yeah, I uh, remember. I remember reading up how it said like the next morning he didn't hear anything from anybody. Yeah, it took three days him for him and his sister to figure it out. Well, yeah, it, it was like him and his yeah his sister and his coach kind of helped, but like it wasn't that, like it finally dawned on somebody, but somebody finally contacted the FAA because small private uh, single prop plane with three people in it. If it takes off and doesn't land anywhere, that's not exactly gonna no pun intended pop up on any radar, so to speak, from like air traffic control per se. <laughs> or FAA or whatever, it, it's it's kind of like a very old-fashioned nuance of, like, losing ships at sea, where it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, you had to be gone a long time, and somebody had to mention it for us to be like, oh, I guess they didn't come back. I mean, it's just three people in, a, in the smallest of private planes you could operate, so, I mean... Yeah. And they, 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 they found them... I forget what... It was near some peak, I forget where, in... Uh, was it Wyoming or something? I think they, they hit trouble in Wyoming, so I'm not sure exactly where it ended, but... But I, I just remember because I don't want to. I don't want to harp on, and I definitely don't research the uh, the bad news too much. Uh, obviously, but like they found all three bodies. Like as soon as they found the wreck, like they found everybody. Yeah. So it, I mean, it could be a lot worse. I mean, did you hear about like? And this is kind of half eerie. Payne Stewart's plane crash. Remember how he won the nineteen ninety nine U.S. Open and before he could defend? I forget the month, but it had to be obviously between the ninety nine and two thousand U.S. Open. So summer to summer of ninety nine to two thousand, Payne Stewart was involved in a, a plane crash. He was going to uh, uh, help, like, break ground or design a course or look at something or whatever. And and I remember, like, they just lost contact with the uh, the private plane. It was just flying up there, sitting up there. They dispatched some fighter planes to go look. And they said, like, it's... And they even reported back saying, looks like everyone's sleeping inside the plane. And, like, they saw, like, frost on the inside of the windows, which means, like, yeah, the plane's on autopilot. He had some depressurization for God bless, God forbid, some whatever reason. And then it's it's kind of like that old-fashioned going to sleep in the garage with the car on. Can't do that in the 21st century anymore, but that's kind of like everyone just kind of went to sleep in the plane. So these poor fighter pilots had to consider shooting it down just in case it didn't, uh, like, went over a major city or something got and ran out of fuel, who knows. But it wound up when it wound up crashing, there was nothing to recover. All they recovered from the crash, I remember they, like, recovered two parts. That, there was, like, two crew members and at least two other people on the plane, including Payne Stewart. They found Payne Stewart's left hand... And I think they found somebody's shoe, and that was it in terms of identifiable materials, both organic and non-organic, just to prove, like, there was just a big black circle. And part of me is just like, how do you find a left hand perfectly intact? I mean, that's a bizarre physical thing, whatever, but, but I mean, it's just, like, the, the plane crashes, just, it's it's a tragedy. And um, and it's not even, it's from, whether it's from John F. Kennedy Jr. or Roy Halladay, whether it's people flying in bad weather or under bad schedules or under the influence of certain things or whatever. It's definitely a first-world problem, Zach. I've seen it when I joke around with golfers, like when they come into Bandon Dunes. It's just like, what's the easiest way to get in here? It's like, well, you don't want to fly into North Bend because planes rarely make it in there, and they're small. You have to make connections. It's foggy, and you still have to rent a car and drive 45 minutes. You may as well fly into Medford or Eugene because you're going to drive two hours from there. Or flying to Portland, one of the biggest, best international airports America has to offer, and rent a car. It's just, there's all these things. And then I always tell golfers, or you can just get your own private jet and fly into Bandon. Because I have caddy for a lot of guys who just came in for the day. And they were talking about going to get barbecue in San Antonio for dinner. Like, some people just ball like that. I know it's really expensive, but that's kind of, in my opinion, that's the way to travel. I mean, it's that's why half the celebrities we know, like big movie stars, a lot of them have their pilot's license. I mean, look at John Travolta. That guy owned 747s in his front yard until, like, his son Jet committed suicide or something. I don't know. I'm combining, like, three stories. So, anyways, um, Nate Lashley, it's a really, really wonderful story. He, he didn't seem to wane at all, despite a tournament that paid a lot of attention to Cameron Champion. 
uh, posting that 28, and then he, like, a lot of cameras seemed to be on him, which was fine. I know a lot of people didn't like that. I didn't mind it, where it's just like, yeah, of course the guy who was on, like, you know, 26 watch for the front nine, get, I, I, I'd be yelling in the booth, too, get all the cameras on him. So, what did you think of the tournament? Did you catch any of it? Yeah, so I actually caught a good bit of it, and uh, one last thing on Nate Lashley, he actually, he won the Corrales Punta Cana on, like, the web.com a couple years ago to get his uh, exemption on the PJ, and even then, he didn't really talk about his parents or anything. Oh, yeah, I mean, you want to talk about, like, the most of, like, humility or humble. That guy's got it. <clears throat> I, I think I heard the No Laying Up guys say this when I listened to their recap. Um, yeah, shout out. I listened to No Laying Up. It's the only golf podcast I listened to. Um, they were talking about how he was, like, a double exemptor for this, where he had to, like, like he, he qualified in the Pro-Am and made it into this tournament as an alternate. Like, oh, yeah, he, he was, like, the last person in. Last exactly. person in, last person out, which is a good way to put it. But I find that very, very, very odd because he's been trending in score. Like, his name has been appearing a lot lately. So if you were to pick him for this tournament, honestly, like on Wednesday, if you were to say, like, hey, I like Lashley for this tournament, I'd probably go, yeah, that's actually not a, that's a right down the middle, that's a that's a single base hit. I like it. Yeah, a lot has to do with the uh, recency of his performances. I guess it doesn't come up right away in the points. So next year he should, well, obviously now he's golden, but. Well, two words, everybody. Chez Reevy. I mean, that guy, ever since the Sony Open, I was talking about him a little bit, going like, why is Chez Reevy all of a sudden taking top ten in every single tournament he's playing in? Then he storms up in the U.S. Open. Then he wins. I mean, it's just, I, it, I don't want to... <laughs> the thing that makes me laugh about Chez Reevy is one of the first interviews I heard with Club Pro Guy before he had his own podcast and really when he was getting his ground, before he started going to shows and everything, <laughs> he said something to the degree of like, because... His dry irony of the sport is what I like, where he just talks about, like, look, guys, you know, Tabasco shirts, they, they don't sell themselves. you got to push them in those individual iron head covers. You know, that, that those are hot in the wintertime on a discount for Christmas, but you got to really push them hard in June. And the, and the stroke bead counters, like, he, he thinks of all this old, weird, nerdy golf shit that's super funny. And he kind of tied that into a line once where he said, like, listen, guys, we need the young guns to come up, you know. We're, there's One day, Len Matisse, Ches Reevy, these guys are going to grow up, you know. We need new young guns. It's like, <laughs> Len Matisse and Ches Reevy. He picked the two most average, know-nothing, until this year for Reevy, the most average, no-name nobodies ever, and said, like, the game needs more of these guys. And I remember distinctly, he said, where are your Ches Reevies? We need them. And this is before he did anything. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> anywho, um, is there a... And I guess that it. So, what's the official name of the tournament that uh, that Lashley won? The Rocket Mortgage Classic. Yeah, but somebody was saying it's the PMI Classic, and they only said that because it's it's making us look it up. Anyways, that maybe I'm jumping the shark into next year's tournament, so to speak. But uh, what uh, what before we get on to um, our recent interviews, which I we got to break down some behind the scenes stuff with uh, God Peter Kessler, Mike Whelan's coming up. We had Scott Scott Van Pelt of ESPN. That was wild. That I, I wanted to tweet Scott this, but I know he wouldn't have gotten back to me. Wherever, but I met Scott about 13 years ago at a Bowie Bay Sox double-A baseball game in Bowie, Maryland. And that's the double-A affiliate of the Orioles. And he's from Maryland. He's a big Maryland guy. I remember I loved Scott Van Pelt. And when I met him in person, I was like, I just remember looking up like, you're six foot five. He's a big dude. He's a tall, tall dude. I mean... And he looks like uh, Chandler Bank from Friends, but <clears throat> without hair. <laughs> That's just my That's a good fair. <laughs> but anyways, this new tournament coming up, uh, I asked you something about it in the pre-show runner, and unfortunately we didn't get to cover it too much. I mostly just explained to you what the brand 3M was, but, <laughs> uh, and that this is going to be played, this next tournament is going to be played at the TPC of Twin Cities, and I know that's not in Phoenix. So that being said, um, shucks, I mean, I didn't want to get on my phone during the pod or whatever, but... Um, we got any big names headlining this field? I mean, we got anything... Uh, yeah, anything so there, there's some pretty big names. We got Brooks Kepka is in it, Matsuyama, Tony Finau, Hovland, Victor Hovland. That's so adorable. I like. I know, okay, I know those four names distinctly. Brooks, cool. Hideki, easy now, big names. I know he's your favorite, but I mean, he, he's been a little stale lately. We need to see him. We need, we need to see he's Hideki get back to Hideki status. <laughs> and, and then, wait, what was the... Uh, I know you said Hovland is the fourth name, but who's the third name? Tony Finau. Tony Finau. I have a serious beef with Tony Finau all of a sudden. Where, it just, where did he go? 
Yeah. Where'd he go? Like, Golf Digest just broke down his swing in a big piece, like, prior to the Masters. Then he kind of fudged around the Masters. Then he's gone. He'll be like, back the when the majors come out, around. Oh, man. The second we figured out a thing or two about his golf swing, I'm just like, oh, so Tony is a golfer who never hits it out to one side of the fairway or the other. And it's interesting. Ever since I finally found this out, can't find him. Can't find him anywhere on TV. Can't find him on a leaderboard. And I and this is I know my dad doesn't listen, but Tony Finau is like my dad's favorite golfer, so I love giving him crap for it. So it's like, oh, where's Tony the, the Finau now? I mean, yeah, we also have Jason Day, Phil Mickelson, Bryson, Patrick Reed. Oh, sorry. I, I, now now you're getting to some uh, meaty names. The one thing I wanted to bust your <laughs> I was gonna bust your balls about was uh, uh <laughs> who was I just talking about again? Because I'm thinking about um, Victor Hovland. Well, the fact that you compared him. Like, he was in the list where it's just kind of like, oh, some of these guys, wait, that's a big name? Okay, cool. And then he said Victor Hovland. like, whoa, now I consider that a big name, even though he's not. He is not a big he's name He's the up-and-comer. Yeah, but I don't, this might sound like I'm saying he's not or, or whatever, but is he? Like, I like Victor Hovland as much as I like, well, Cam Champ or even like Aaron Wise. If you look at some of these guys' games or whatever, Matt Wolf to a certain extent. Matt Wolf, love that guy. Camp Champ, Victor Hovland, Matt Wolf, and those three in, in that order are like a certain age of young gun guys that I'm paying attention to where I'm just like, holy crap, those three in a row are amazing golfers, and I don't know, it obviously can get better, but who I don't know how it can. There's another name, Colin Morikawa. He's been like lighting it up since he got on tour. Who? Colin Morikawa. Another young gun. And then there's, a, I think the last one's a Justin Sue. He was like the number four ranked amateur. Yeah. Yeah, I've, uh, I've seen his name here or there. Um, God, Victor Hovland. He, right after he won the amateur, I was really looking at his swing. You want to talk about, like, just, like, the, cracking the whip, pulling back for power. Oh, yeah, you, know, you see those videos of him double pumping it? Well, that, I, actually, I didn't go... I, I did see the double pump, and I didn't go very ape shit about that because I was kind of looking at going like, well, we all, I mean, look at Matt Wolf and that, how we like to have break down his little like pre-swing trigger or whatever. Part of me's like, well, if you make a swing, couldn't a double pump be your timing trigger, so to speak? I mean, I know in some parts of my swing, if I actually like turn a certain way or look a certain way, that gets my timing and my coil proper. I, I, when he did the double pump, all I, all I said out loud was, I haven't seen that before. But then my second thought was, that's not insane. Like these young guys, a lot of these I've seen a lot of these collegiate golfers. I used to make fun of uh, this old uh, pitcher for the New York Mets. Uh, his name was uh, Turk, and he used to play golf righty but with a lefty grip. Like he played left hand, and he was a shitty golfer. He was like twenty five handicap or whatever. But then now I saw two collegiate golfers now where one has a left hand low grip full swing. Okay. And almost. What's up? No, I was just responding no. to you. <laughs> I, I was reading your eyes at the same time, like, oh, do we have technical difficulties over there? But uh, So anyways, we got this one kid who has a lefty grip on a righty swing, and then we have another guy who has almost like the prayer grip. You know what the prayer grip is, right? Uh, I, it's like when you have your fans like this, sort of. It's a putting stroke grip! It's yeah, that's... Grip. So how could you swing like that? I don't know, because it looked like his hands were barely together, barely together, then all of a sudden, right when he took the club back, that was when slightly some grip occurred, but it looked like it was so loose, like you'd sneeze and you could fling the club out of his hand, like from afar, like like you're ready to tee off and you just cough, and all of a sudden he drops it just because it, it was like holding the bird, like the Harry Varden tip to a tee, where it's just like this guy is holding this box, this 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 golf club like a box of Kleenex upside down with his wrong hand, like he's being so ginger with it. And then I watch the swing, I'm like, well, it reminds me of a 19 year old Sergio Garcia, where he had an incredible wrist lag in a swing easy to do kind of fun but not something you can fundamentally repeat in a good golf swing or score so i, I don't know like victor hovland to me might be the most vanilla out of all these like young guns or whatever just because he's just the biggest he's the stallion with the best muscles really where like i remember watching i watching his swing in the final round of the u.s amateur i i stopped and said who is this he is he is taking the driver back like he has a broadsword he's trying to swing down on a dragon's neck I mean, it is, and it's not like Arnold Palmer, because Arnold Palmer, I golf like Arnold Palmer, where after the ball hits my club face, I, I go berserk. Like, I'm like Ho Sung Choi meets Arnold Palmer, where, like, I have no distinct follow-through. Like, I'll hit the ball, and I'll start following. That was a good throwback to Ho Sung Choi. Yeah, where did he go? Disappeared. <laughs> I, I, I make sure he lives on every round I play. Like, I always, I can't, I can't hit a tee shot and sit still. 
like either I'll pick up my tea and go back to the cart, or I'll hit it and like I'll start like walk, looking at it going like, oh look, it's going right. Oh no, but that's going. Right. I mean, just I don't know. Mm. So <clears throat> those are the big names for the. Uh, so it's called the 3M. The 3M Open. It's a brand new event out in Minnesota. So this isn't. I mean. This has to be taking the place of something, right? Or yeah. did they move a venue and switch a sponsor name, or what? I mean, this is in the middle of the golf season. So they must have like done that. Last year, there wasn't a tournament this weekend. I, yeah, there couldn't have not been a tournament, though. But from what I see, it shows there's a new tournament not taking over anything. But uh, I'm sure I'm wrong, so someone will correct me. But Well, they could. You know what? We wish more of you would correct us, because nobody talks to us. You know, talk. If, reach out to us on Twitter. Talk to us. We're a good time. I have a theory, though. Maybe, perhaps, moving the PGA Championship up. And, like, not saying the PGA Championship should be right now. I mean, the British Open could be almost... No, the British Open's still the same time it's always been. Uh, I'm trying to think, like, maybe they because they shuffled everything up, there would be that one weekend that's open where it's just like, well, it's not going to be the Reno-Tahoe Open. I mean, where Scott Stallings goes and wins every year or whatever. But, I mean... Who knows? Uh, we'll never know. Unless someone talks to us, we'll never know. 3M Open, I like that. I like it anytime a tournament that's not a major calls themselves an open. Like the old, like when Buick, Buick used to have the Buick Open, the Buick Invitational, the Buick Classic, and nobody drove a Buick. But I was like, hey, we have a theme here amongst regular golf tournaments, not majors. As long so, as it's an open. Yeah, so long as it is open, which I quote uh, Kevin Costner from um, uh, Tin Cup when he said, uh, that means it's open. It's open to everybody. It's democratic. <laughs> Anywho, is there anything else you want to talk uh, about um, current golf tournament-wise before we get into what what we've been doing and what's coming up for uh, our crew and our team and our website? No, well, yeah, it's been a pretty quiet week uh, golf tournament-wise besides the Lashley win, so we'll move on to... So I want to I want to get to it before we get to some other stuff that's probably more important, but uh, your Kip Henley interview last week, on one hand, I was really bummed I couldn't finagle away to get in on the call but as i've told you via text and some people that i've chatted with privately but more so opening this up to the public i actually i've i've followed and loved kip henley for years still do and i'm kind of glad i wasn't a part of that interview just because i really feel like i would have muffed it up somehow just like goofing off or even though it could have been genuine and candid or whatever it's like no we got kip henley on let's let's get some kip henley dirt I mean, and for those of you who don't know, I mean, if you didn't listen to the podcast, Kip Henley is not the most seasoned PGA Tour veteran. Uh, I'm sorry, PGA Caddy, PGA Tour Caddy veteran. But in terms of social media exposure and knowing names of names, he is the biggest caddy currently. Like, He's been around a long Twitter. time, though. He caddied well, for Twitter, VJ. If, let me put it this way. If Twitter existed back in 2000, Fluff would have been the biggest like Twitter presence or something, probably. Right? I mean, we have... Uh, one of our outside service guys at Bandon Dunes, uh, his nickname is Shu. I don't know his real name, but uh, he works there five days a week and he takes pictures. He has his own weather gauging system. Like he's pretty big on social media as Shu. And I remember, and I'm friends with Shu. Shu and I are, are great pals. But I remember back in the day before he became a little celebrity mascot, everyone hated Shu. He was just a shitty little old man that we didn't like. It's like, oh yeah, there's Shu trying to be friends with everybody and nobody liked him or whatever. Now he's kind of grown into his own, <clears throat> what have you. And that being said, and it's not a direct comparison, but it's like Kip Henley, and he'll be the first to say it, he's not the biggest name out there. He hasn't worked the longest out there. Like, if you want to talk about, like, guys have been caddying on tour for 30 years, I guarantee you those guys are not on Twitter. Those guys probably still read newspapers and still get their hair cut four times a year on the same dates at the same guy. Just the way it goes. It, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it, and... And I probably would have asked. That's why I can't wait for us to like maybe get Kip back on the show for a part two, where I can get for a little sure. personal order because I know a bit about him personally that isn't necessarily controversial. But and as he would describe it, he's a man who sticks to very good principles and sticks to his guns no matter what. That being said, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna claim this. I'm not gonna say anything because I am not an expert in this. But in certain overtones, I've seen people give Kip Henley kind of the racism treatment where it's just like I've seen more than one person give them the whole like you're just some good old boy from the south of course you think this and of course you hate that and of course this or whatever and you know what maybe he does but that's not the point I know tons of racists in my life the, th the funny thing is I probably they, they don't say they're racist and you probably don't know they're racist but guess what there are a bunch of racist people walking around out there the true racists don't advertise it 
that's how they get in amongst like that's how they get, this get is their true then it's it's scary it's, it's a scary disgusting thing for something that like on one hand i look at it like oh well i know i'm not racist so therefore i don't advertise anything but it's like well don't i make myself a prime candidate and i'm not this is not whatsoever i love kip henley i would never ever call him as what i would call the r word i'll say retarded like not saying he's retarded i'll say that as an r word but my r word is racist because i'm tired of us making that a thing it's not nice Granted, to say retarded unless your friend's acting retarded I've heard that. I, I forget who said that, but I've heard that before. Michael who Scott. Michael Scott. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. He's like, no, you don't, you don't make fun of retards. That's bad taste. Yeah. <laughs> it's in bad taste. You make fun of your friends for being retarded, okay? And he kind of looked at the camera like, duh. <laughs> oh, man, I'm glad you said that because I was thinking, oh, stand-up comics said that. It's like, nope, it was better. It was Michael Scott. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, Kipper... Oh, that was so great when you asked him my question at the end like i was i was first of all i was sitting on the shitter it was like 4 30 in the morning i was listening to the podcast i remember as he was asking answering questions i was texting you saying hey damn it you messed this up hey he didn't say this and you're texting back saying calm down there's more to the show there's yeah more you to gotta show. wait and sure enough i mean i was you have no idea like how thrilled i was that you got to ask him that question but hearing his reaction because I've always, as I told you, I'm a bad interviewer, but I always want to like want us to have our own personal thumbprint or fingerprint or own stamp on an interview. Like sure. like the No Laying Up guys ask everyone at the end of their interviews, when's the last time you played paid for golf? That's a great question. That's a, That can elicit a ton of different stories and answers. And mostly what you want to do, and, and this is the little bit I know as an interviewer, and I'm not one, is ask them a question that just makes them think for a second. Even if they don't say anything for the first three seconds, that's how you know you got a good one. And my question really isn't wasn't that I know how you and him said it was deep or whatever, but I'm just like, you know, it's not that deep. It's revealing. And really, I would say like and, and he answered the question perfectly. He said, like, well, I want to say my father, but I can't. And then I tweeted him saying, like, of course you can say your father, Kip. You can be your father's fan club president. Why not? That's a perfect answer. But then when he said he was a fan president of the Kip the, the Henley family fan club, I'm like, this I hate to say it, that wasn't that was a very unsensational answer because I kind of had a half idea knowing he would say that because I know Kip Henley is a is a delicious family man in that regard. He's perfect. He's he's a, that's what makes him as red blooded and as American as anything else is he supports like good stuff like or goodness around him and promoting like you know uh, like fruitful things and especially his family. So I mean, he that was probably the weakest answer he could have gave in terms of learning stuff or like figuring things out or whatever. But I mean. When, when you asked him that question, I heard him go, wow, I lost my mind because I'm like, this wasn't supposed to make him think or like stump him or whatever. And I kind of did. I mean, oh, that's I, a good question. I... Well, now anyone out there who's listening, God forbid, uh, if you're going to be interviewed by us, you know, that'll be one of the last questions is if you could be the president of a fan club, who would it be? Now, that's you know, it, simple as that. It's it, it, it's it's super re- revealing because we all get to learn something. And you get to think for a second when you get asked the question, and not that this sounds like a bad thing, but as I told Zach before, this is how you get Bill Belichick to talk, is you got to ask somebody something you know they're interested in, but you don't know exactly what they're interested in, so why not give them the most open-ended sentence that makes them hone in on a target, and when they hone in on that target, it speaks more than just the words they're saying. So, And also, when you mentioned that uh, I worked at... Uh, <clears throat> you almost said Brandon Dunes again. I love it. Are you serious? <laughs> Oh, yeah, you did. I'll have to re-listen. You got the bruh, and then you, you paused and said Bandon Dunes, and then he, he said, like, oh, beautiful. I mean, that'd be, I don't know if Kip's ever been out to the Oregon coast like that, but it, it makes me want to, like, make a phony course on Tiger Woods or, like, a Twitter account and call it Brandon Dunes. Now. Brandon like, Dunes or, Golf that's Course. Gonna be my, that's going to be my alter ego. I was just telling my girlfriend earlier how, um, like, anytime I'm at work and, like, if I'm ever shitty with, like, a guest or something, or not saying that that happens or whatever, but I have this air of... When I worked at the airport in Aspen, I wrote my employee number on the back of my jersey, or like my my uh, my orange, you know, reflective jumper, just so if anyone had a problem, I just turn around and be like three seven nine two, call my boss, lodge a complaint. Just like I'm just like yeah, here's my badge number, asshole, come get me. And and if it's warranted, yeah, maybe they'll come get me. <clears throat> but um, but I uh I have a, a caddy alter alias so to speak or a, or an alter not alter ego but an alias rather there's no such thing as an alter alias that's a redundancy but uh anytime if I would upset anybody on the resort and they say what's your name and I say Richard Shaw <laughs> Rick Shaw 
then they no. know who to come after. You're the rickshaw man. Yeah, well, the, oh, I, I want them to sit there and go like, oh yeah, that guy really pissed me off. His name's Richard Shaw. I'm going to talk to his boss and just somebody nearby is going like, Richard Shaw. I mean, his name's Rick Shaw. And then they sit there and go, oh, that little fucker. <laughs> now we know why Rick Shaw has the most complaints at Bandon Dunes, eh? <laughs> <laughs> He's not worth the money, but uh, but now I, I, I should make another uh, alter ego called Brandon Dunes. <laughs> Brandon <laughs> You should tell people that when they ask your name. That would be great. Well, we got for years because uh, Looper is written on a lot of our gear, and my last name starts with an L. A lot of people would uh, assume Looper was my last name. We actually had back in the day a few caddies. Their nicknames, like they're like there's there's uh, Blue Jay and Crazy and Sheepdog and Squid. Crazy's and a terrible all... nickname. F you, Crazy's my favorite caddy. That is caddy a terrible caddy. nickname. Know his real name. Oh, those are fighting words, buddy. <laughs> that sounds so mean. Cra- no, his his name's crazy, and and as he, as he'll look at you through his sunglasses because I've never seen him. I've never seen his eyeballs before. I've always seen him with sunglasses on. He's uh, we hell. We had a guy back in the day when I worked there twenty years ago called the Unabomber. Tim. His name was Tim, and his name was he, his nickname. He called himself the Unabomber because every single time like you saw him or whatever in his uniform, he always had a hoodie on, and like aviator glasses and just kind of like scruffy or whatever. He looked like the, he looked like Ted Kaczynski. A little bit. I mean, just and that was his. That was his marketing. That was on his business cards. It's like next time you're at Band Dunes, ask for the Unabomber. Weird, but it works. I mean, in 2019, that might not go over so well. Dude, 2019. I don't think we haven't had. You might not be allowed to have crazy as a nickname in 2019. Well, he is moving. He is. I heard. Unfortunately, I think crazy is moving to Houston to further his golf head cover business, which I certainly don't mind promoting. Everybody. It's called Gorse Golf, G-O-R-S-E Golf. He makes head covers in a day and age where, thank you, Akbar, um, for making Seamus Golf, and now we have to pay 120 bucks for a head cover now. It's like a I hope Crazy listens to this pod if we're giving him all this advertisement. No, Crazy knows I will. I support him and pump him up as much as I can. I got a hat of his from his company. I've worn it on this podcast a few times. But uh, he actually, I haven't seen him in a couple of weeks, but he's been saying like, hey, Jerry, where's your card? Where's What's your website? What's your, like, give me some stickers. And I'm just, and I just, I literally haven't seen Crazy in like three weeks. It's breaking my heart. I mean. Shout out Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So it's Gorse. So oh yeah, I'm sorry. Their, their company's called Gorse Golf. Um, I'm pretty sure that's the website, just www.gorsegolf.com. And yeah, the, I'm not even a head cover guy, but he has so many good head covers there that I haven't bought any yet because I can't freaking decide. And many of our caddies carry them. And uh, yeah, it's just a, it, it's just as any, it's, well, we all know how the gourmet boutique head cover market is these days. And he's just one of them, except he sells his for like 50 bucks a pop as opposed to a hundred. So yeah, there's, sounds like a good site. I'll definitely have to check it out. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if you find something you like, let me know because he keeps encouraging me to use a promo code for a discount. And I'll figure it out for us. Oh yeah. Like we do have a caddy discount code where we like save fifty percent off his product, and that that makes me feel bad too. Going like crazy, I want to buy five head covers. But I mean, <laughs> so let's uh, a couple more things to break down here before we get to the Canadian fun fact. Oh, one um, thing I'll point out before we oh. move on from Kip Henley. I waited oh, yes. knowing he was definitely uh, like a very funny guy and that I'm like the last person to ever like judge someone on how they talk because I'm all for not being politically correct and all that. But one thing that really stood out, not just him not being politically correct, he does seem like an excellent person. Like he's helping the community. He was so the most like the happiest thing he was is when I brought up his charity and he was so like grateful oh, yeah. to have brought that up. And he's like that was like the most important thing to him to be talking about the St. Jude charity. I think if I were to sum up Kip Henley in one word that I think describes him in a positive, and maybe this can be taken slightly misconstrued in a slight negative way, but really it can't. Kip Henley is one of the most wholesome people I, I could That's ever imagine. That's a good way to describe it. He is very genuine, and maybe a couple times that gen, that like genuineness or whatever might be on the wrong subject or directed at the wrong person per se. I, I, I'm not even going to claim to say I have screenshots of Kip Henley's tweets where he's effed up or whatever. His grammar and his punctuation is just as bad on Twitter as the rest of ours. So what standard are we really holding each other to? I mean, <clears throat> with, the, with the exception of how 
I did see how Brandel Chambly was saying something. And who is who is Jeff Martin? I feel like I've seen that name. At Jeffy Golf, he's that guy who is a Twitter avatar. He just he looks like uh, Larry David from Seinfeld, but with like tiny little black sunglasses on. Okay. This guy, this guy. Okay, look him up at Jeffy Golf. J E F F Y Golf. No, I'm not even telling you to look him up, Zach. Follow his ass. Because every single time, you think Peter Kessler was crazy in terms of like knowing a ton of stuff and correcting you, but then Jeffy oh, he won't follows block off you. Jeffy Golf. What's that? Jeffy Golf follows us. He does? Yeah, what a life. Oh, great. I mean, he and I talk on a semi-regular basis on Twitter, but he doesn't know who I am. Like, anyways, he brought up something recently where, or Brandel Chamley was talking about something, and, um, oh, God, I this is going to kill me. I wish I had the tweet ready, but he was talking about players with amount of cuts made, and he brought up Charles Howell III out of a vacuum. Jeff Martin did. And I, that which got my attention, because Charles Howell III is secretly maybe my favorite golfer of all time. And he said that Tiger Woods made, oh, uh, Charles Howell III has made 422 cuts in his career. Tiger has made 324 cuts in his career. Tiger plays limited schedule, whatever. Jack Nicholas and Phil Mickelson have made over 500 cuts apiece in their career. Cool, but that, but that I tweeted Jeff Martin this little piece. This, what I'm about to say here, and normally Jeff's smart enough that he'll add something onto what you say or he'll correct you or whatever. But he just liked my tweet and didn't say anything, which made me think like, oh my god, I think Albert Einstein just said good point, so to speak, to me because. My tweet essentially said, uh, for lack of a better term, I said, I've always been advocating Charles Howell III as the best golfer without a major because he makes so many cuts, he plays twice as much golf as everyone else. And at 422 cuts made in a 20-year career, he makes 21-plus cuts a season. Yeah. Does he have kids? Does he have a house with a dog? Is he ever there? I mean, that's the only thing I look at it where it's like, yeah, you can be a grinder on tour all you want to, but you have to have a personal life, too. I mean... And he and he is. I know he's a family man. He seems like a very. He, he'd be very Catholic or Mormon for all I know. He seems like a very straight laced dude. Uh, anyways, here. that's uh, yeah. Je- at Jeffy Golf, that guy, like he, like we see Randall Chambly correct people and Peter Kessler correct people, and then they'll get in arguments and then the point gets lost. I'll at least save this much. When Jeff Martin speaks, everyone at least seems to listen or not argue like he brings up if you look at his twitter background picture it's like some graph chart of some shit that i don't know it's like about driving distance on tour the past 50 years it's like, i don't know who this guy is or what he does but he might be and i'll claim it this the greatest database in golf or resource or whatever i mean that's what made peter kessler great you know he was a historian that's what makes me think i'm great at golf is because for a certain period of time or years i know a lot about golf I know you do know a lot about golf i give you that but I mean, at the same time, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to have arrogance about it like a PK or some other people, you know, but speaking of the new fallout from this PK piece, granted, it's been quiet on his front. Your neck seems to be on piece. Uh, we haven't had any international customs or tribunal lawyers. No, I think he whatever. realized he needed to make peace because his strategy to try and sue us would never have gone well. So he was like almost apologetic without being apologetic. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, is this new news? Like, No, just like... Proof of him being apologetic? Because I was about to say, that's not Peter Kessler. Oh, no, he was never apologetic. The fact, stopped, the fact that he stopped talking about this either makes me think that he finally slipped in the tub or that we are just the eight-month digestion that he has of, like, attack, like being friends with somebody and attacking somebody. Oh, that's no, it. he was never apologetic, but he went from, like, I'm going to cut your head off and, like, kill you to uh, I did not like the article you posted. So, I would say in terms of his development, that's an improvement because like he should have just said, I'll cut your head off. And that should have been the last thing he said to us. Really? That's why it's like almost an apology that now he's just like, I do not like that. Like, you, know, all, you know what I'm actually starting to enjoy from this? Because I, as you know, for me, I've never liked this Peter Kessler business from minute one when Tucker said, hey, we got Peter Kessler's my new friend. I, I was already biting my nails going, this is not good. But we're starting to connect with some people out there on Twitter and the social media universe in that like they're 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 getting the same uh ire from Peter Kessler for no reason. And even those people who are supporting him, I actually am jumping on with Tucker at um that one guy who's like uh, Wall Street Pete and Golf Gods, those two idiots or whatever. Yeah. Like they're dead to me. First of all, this this Wall Street Pete idiot we 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 can't attack him. If you look at his timeline, every hour he's just poking at something with some semi-sarcastic, like, wistful, thoughtful... I think it's Peter Kessler. Not even kidding. I think there's a pretty good chance it's him. 
no, 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 no. I, I, I like where your head's at, but we all know Peter Kessler's head is the size of two hot air balloons. That he's like, this is Peter Kessler. Oh, that would... I wish that was Peter Kessler. I wish your your notion was right. I strongly feel like somebody as Peter Kessler isn't egotistical. He's it, it's it's megalomaniacal. It's like I mean, psychopathic. Like, you know what? I am sorry cuz I hate to I hate to bash um the I'm going to use these words, the ruler of our country right now because as I tell people, hey, all of us Americans or at least 99.999% of us are sleeping comfortably every night regardless of who our president is. That is but, true. My god. 45 and PK act a lot fucking alike, and we've pretty much diagnosed Donald Trump and a lot of his problems. They're right, written right up on the wall. The Peter Kessler, I think one of the big things is, is like, yeah, he was amazing. For 15, 20 years, he was, as they would say for Ron Burgundy, the balls. And guess what? He's been unemployed and unreachable this century. <laughs> the, there's got there's more than just a little problem there. I mean, if you're good, you keep on getting good or doing good or whatever. If you disappear from the public eye, it's like like Sean Penn or whatever. It's like, oh yeah, you went down. Whatever happened to Sean Penn? He's he's such an artistic genius. That's just how it goes for those guys. I mean, what happened to Jim Carrey? He's making artwork now, political artwork. Oh, it's true. These are real yeah. throwbacks. So Tucker and the PK piece, it's 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 getting quiet on that front. We now it sounds like uh, Tucker he uh, in the process of. Getting Mike Whelan, the uh, now correct me if I'm wrong on this because this is how I describe Mike Whelan to uh, everybody out there is he is the I don't want to say creator of Golf Channel but he's the original executive producer. Yeah, he's one of like the first guys there. Well, but, yeah, be careful because we could say PK was one of the first guys there, and and you know what? The, one of the great things I liked about learning from the PK piece was the reason why Peter Kessler had so much control early on was he was working with a bunch of idiots who like barely knew where the craft service table was. So Peter was essentially like, okay, I'll direct this. I'll pick the interviews. I'll script it. And thank God Peter was good enough to do that. I mean, but that's why when it comes to professionally, God bless Peter Kessler. He's, he's dead to me literally in a, in a, even in a, a theatrical or like a media sense, because it's like, yeah, you have been on TV since Tiger Woods. Show. I love Peter Kessler. I hope I could run into him one day. I feel like I would have a great time. I'm so, like, I lack so much, like, hatred towards people and could, like, I strive in awkward situations, so I feel like I would just, like, oh, hey, Pete, how's it going? I get that, and and, and, and not, like, I'm try- we're trying to push the emotional bar one way or the other, but honestly, I have so much disgust and disdain for people who are, like, I was watching Friends earlier with my girlfriend, and Monica was acting stupid, and I just looked at her and said, like, please tell me human beings don't act like this. I mean, it's just like, no, 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 no. Like, because if I ever see that person on the street, I would openly insult them to their face because I'd be like, no, no, you're the reason why we make fun of each other. Or you're the reason why we have food stamps. Or you're the reason why anything is wrong because you're immature. At That's the same all. time, only one of us brought back their tooth from the dentist. Hey, listen, I, every time I go to the doctor or, hey, I appreciate you call that a savage move. I just want to take a picture of the sucker, and she said, you can have it. I'm like, hell yeah, I'll take that. I'm probably throwing it away after tonight, but I mean, there, there's that, that speaks to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. So, uh, but anyways, so we got Tucker, while he's securing this interview with Mike Whelan. So Mike's going to be a long article, sort of like a Peter Kessler oh, thing, and good. an interview, but... Well, I remember seeing on Twitter, uh, Mike was uh, saying, and this is on Twitter, everyone can see it, he hasn't conducted a, quote, radio, that shows how long it's been, uh, radio interview in 20 years. So, however we get him, we got him, that's great. And then also, this led to, um, gosh, one of these past couple mornings or whatever, you and I got a message from uh, Tucker saying, call me, uh, it's important. And I waited for five minutes, and I texted you, and I sat there going, like, I was like, should I call him or should you? And I sat there going, like, no, this is important, whatever it is. Like, I mean, it, it's not it's not a bad thing. And, and, and I'm sitting there going like, well, should I wait for Zach to respond? He's probably talking to me right now. Fuck it, I'm going to call Tucker. Even though, as I told you earlier, I side, I cede everything to you in terms of control, quote, power, just everything. I, I, I tend to look at it as, um, uh, like, you have more gravitas in this, so I'll, cause, so I'll side with your brain and your judgment better. But this one time, I just was like, all right, let me call Tucker and just see what the hell's going on. Maybe I can put yeah, this fire Yeah, we're a team. Up, we do. I have no idea. And he tells me right away. He's just like, oh, yeah, we're getting Scott Van Pelt. Like, he heard about the the Mike Whelan stuff, and he was a part of, like, some Golf Channel stuff early on in the day. And we're getting Scott Van Pelt. So I was like, this Scott is what the phone Pelt. call. That's great. That's great. Scott Van Pelt, amazing. 
And uh, and then as like a couple minutes in the conversation, I he, he, he even asked me. I think Tucker asked me. He's like, "Oh, is that okay or whatever?" I was like, "Oh, first of all, I'm gonna say it's not up to me. But second of all, hell yeah, it's okay." get in touch with Zach as soon as possible. And when I said that, he's like, oh, Zach's calling me right now. I'm like, good, I'll get off the phone and you guys talk. Because when it came down to that, I didn't need to be a part of the conversation. I was just, I'm happy he included me and I found out we got Scott. And that was, I'll admit, you listened to Scott uh, Van Pelt interview. Yeah. It was exactly Scott Van Pelt. It was right down the middle of the road. I really, really appreciate the parts where he said he refused to speak on a couple things because I know for a fact well no no I'm sorry this is conjecture but I'm a pretty good bartender psychologist armchair whatever in that only the only time somebody ever does that is when they don't want to drag somebody's name through the mud that's it it's like it's like what if we found out this whole time Warren Buffett was a huge racist well that's not going to come out till way later and all the people who work around him are definitely going to be like no you know what Uh, Warren was a great boss and uh, I'm not going to say anything else at this time because as, according to that interview with Scott Van Pelt, Peter Kessler kind of helped, I wouldn't say helped him along, but he was sitting next to him when people were sitting, when Mike Whelan was sitting there going, who's that bald kid sitting there with the glasses? Filling in for, pretending to be Peter Ellis, pretending to be Arnold Palmer, like essentially goofing off and doing impersonations and whatever. And he got to, like, next thing you know, he, he was like the stand-in, the fill-in. And his, granted, if anyone wants to know anything extra, you'll have to contact Tucker at how do you find him on Twitter? What's at Tucker, Tucker Dale D? Booth? Dale. Okay, I didn't want to say D. At Tucker Dale Booth, uh, Tucker did have, and he shared this a little bit with us in private conversation. I'm not saying too much here, but Scott didn't really say too much off the air, but he did enlighten on a couple things. It wasn't really groundbreaking. wasn't anything like that. It's just, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything to incriminate Scott Van Pelt because he didn't do it on purpose himself. But he said a couple things about our article that he didn't want to agree or disagree with on the air but he said it he said it off the air and it was very concise cool it was very much like thank you we got some insight and if you want to know what Scott Van Pelt said I suggest you look uh, hit up Tucker if Tucker's willing to share it with you but uh it's good stuff it's not bad I mean it's not bad for anybody yeah people could probably assume I feel like Scott Van Pelt could have been like our first interview on this whole Peter Kessler thing just given how little he gave us and how respectful he was but, like, getting it on the end now feels like this is all just validation, really. I mean, in terms of just, like, I wouldn't, you know, I'm not saying Peter PK gave SVP his start, but he was kind of a part of it. And Scott is very appreciative of where he's at right now professionally, and I and he knows where his bread's buttered, and, and that's what makes him a great professional. I mean, it's, I, he could have said completely the opposite stuff that our piece said, and I'd be like, well, we're learning something today from one view or another we just are so it is awesome to see someone so like humble he he went on to thank like mike whelan on twitter responding to us for comparison mike whelan he has a private twitter account but he has like 100 twitter followers compared to scott van pelt who i think has 1.9 million oh yeah uh my i mean i i guess mike whelan evidently has been following me on twitter for some time now and i didn't even know it until like three until the peter kessler piece started to get some real gravity to it i mean yeah, 1.9 yeah. million followers on Twitter. Ah, not bad. It's a lot of people. But it reminds me of like uh, God rest his soul, like Stuart Scott or some of like those original, not original, but those ESPN anchors from like ten years ago. Because I first got on Twitter with my original account in '09, and I remember getting on strictly for sports purposes because I just love like talking shit about the for draft sure. and like you know what's Bill Simmons talking about and like you know and then this that and the other. And to see a guy like SVP with that many followers, it's like oh yeah, that's that's but he's scott van pelt might be the coolest like average guy ever like he doesn't ha- he's not imitatable he doesn't have a catchphrase other than being bald and have glasses and being tall and being a sportscaster i know i just described four big things there but i mean it's like he doesn't have i, I can distinctly remember him in some of those sports center commercials which is some of my favorite and he didn't even have a theme he was just a funny guy in every fourth it's one everyday like, guy that is that what we asked for, for, like, somebody to be in a prominent position, whether you're president of the country or, like, just, like, at least we all have our eyeballs on you and our ears are listening to you? I want somebody who's, like, I, I like humility. It's it's really great. I'm not saying he has it or doesn't. It just whatever Scott Van Pelt has, it works. So. Yeah. That's why he's been doing what he's been doing. And while ESPN's going through tons of changes and, and cutting back or whatever, he's pretty much been galvanized as being, like, kind of, like, one of, like, the Mount Rushmore guys 
not of all time at ESPN, but right now for sure. Like 10 years ago, for absolutely. Sure. Now, absolutely. So, Any, anything else you want to uh, mention in terms of... Uh, I guess we have a future interview. I'll give uh, Tucker, I think, has one coming up with Jerry Foltz. Oh, that's right. Yes, yeah, so many things are bouncing around now. I mean, I know we... We, uh, we're kind of on the Ron Mintz and Ron Reed train, and that train might be chugging to a Hank Haney station anytime soon. I mean, we I had, like, these three things where, like, we got the PK arm, we got the Kip Henley arm, and then we got this Hank Haney thing going on over here. This is great. What do I want to work on today? Or, like, what do, what do we want to – I mean, it's just we got all this – oh, man. I mean, it, I don't want to say, like, other podcasts aren't – like, because I just listened to the Laying Up podcast. that They were doing their um, Rocket Mortgage recap, and it was a lot of fun, but it was just them. Like just the, they're smart guys. They're good golfers. They give great insight, and they're at all the tournaments. That's important. Yeah. But all that being said, like they'll have a guest on, or they'll have an interview, or whatever. Part of me just looks at it like, as I told a um, a coworker yesterday, I look at myself as like a half cooked shock jock. Like I don't have a good voice. I don't have a catchphrase. I don't have anything really except the fact that you want to podcast. Hey, you with have me. a good radio voice, and you have a catchphrase. What am I? I'm all right. Don't nobody worry about me. Oh, okay, that's that's me and Mr. Logan's secret right there. <laughs> yes, but that but that being said, I mean it's like um, I don't know. I I, don't know, I lost my train of thought because of the compliment. Thank you. Oh, that you have <laughs> no. Uh... <laughs> well, we listen. We need to. This one went a little. We're not running long, but it's longer than last week's. Zach, do you have a Canadian fun fact for us? I do. So you mentioned before what I did this week, and I mentioned it was the long weekend. Do you know why it was a long weekend and we didn't have Monday off? Bastille Day. No. <laughs> why did you hesitate? Oh, man, I thought I was right. So last week, it was we had a long weekend for St. Jean-Baptiste Day, which is a holiday in Quebec. This week, it's a national holiday. Mm, well, Boxing Day is the 26th of December, so it's not that. Well, you have June 4th. We have July 1st. Canada's birthday. Oh, that, that's that's can is oh birthday Canada's birthday. Oh, that's so funny. We it's should Canada call Day July Fourth America's birthday, but we call it Independence Day, which is fair. But part of me is just like, oh wait, Canada has an Independence Day. It's just like, yeah, jackass. Maybe every country in the world has an Independence Day. Just think about it. But then I want to be like, well, I don't want every country to have to like break themselves from tyranny, even though that's what they need to do. It's like, wow, there's a lot of tyranny out there. If there's a lot of independence days, what do you think about that? I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I have a, I have a good song to end the podcast with. So what, but well, real quick, what year was, uh, your, your Canada's birthday? Do not ask these questions. You're going to make me look real bad. Oh, fair enough. Well, I mean, is it at least later than 1776 is America? That was that was when we won the Revolutionary War and started all our paperwork or whatever. What? Sorry, you cut out. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, what I mean is, um, July Fourth, seventeen seventy six is when like we started putting our paperwork in as a country or whatever. So I'm not going to assume no. you know. So Canada, I obviously knew this right from the start. I was just making small talk. It was obviously July first, eighteen sixty seven. Who wouldn't know that? To say well, I'm I mean, on Google right now, finding that is just embarrassing. I would well, never. So what, what happened? What did Canada do? Did you guys liberate yourselves from like the Eskimos or what? We got ourselves from England. Oh, see, forgive me for being ignorant there, because I know Canada has a lot of ties to um, uh, native folks and the French or whatever, and I know why for the French. But when, and this might, I might, I might sound like a shitty American saying this, and I don't want to end on this note, but. I do appreciate that our country became a country, but in the 1770s, like when we were starting our American Revolution or whatever against Britain, poor Britain, America was another colony to them. Just another colony with just a lot more acreage and a whole bunch of people shooting, as opposed to all like Guam or like all these stupid islands or whatever, where they're like, they're like, just all the stuff they hopped around on. Not to say we wouldn't have won the Revolutionary War in America if like Britain actually cared, but it is kind of... I've, I've, I've viewed a lot of unbiased generic historical facts or whatever where it's like when England lost the Revolutionary War it didn't bother them that much they were just kind of like yeah that thing got out of hand like like those people escaped from England because they didn't like what we were doing ironically we're doing the same thing the English did to us hundreds of years ago I mean, seriously if you look at America 
like look at Massachusetts. They have the most laws and the most taxes when it comes to most things. I mean, Sam Adams, the brewery, God forbid, they claim they're like the first brewery in America. Fine. But because of that, they have so many tariffs and local rules of shipping that you cannot ship any alcohol in or out of the state of Massachusetts without Sam Adams' blessing. St. Louis, where Anheuser-Busch, you may know them as Budweiser, lives, that's not a rule. It's Rona season. I'm all about the (laughs) Ronas. And the Jaeger bombs. That's what I did this weekend. You knew that. (laughs) Jaeger bombs. (laughs) I know we we have a decade of age between us, but when you texted me that saying you're doing... (laughs) When he said, like, you're not going to guess what I'm drinking or whatever, I'm like, oh, no. And then he said, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you're how old? Yeah, of, cor- of course. That was probably that too many age. Jaeger bombs deep. Well, I started making, when I was in the service, Jerry bombs, where, which is, Jaeger bombs are way better, but you would take a shot of Sailor Jerry rum, and you would drop it in, like, a glass of Coca-Cola or Diet Coke or Coke Zero or whatever, and that was your that was your bomb. That was your Jerry bomb. <laughs> yeah, it's not good chugging a full pint of soda pop with liquor. I mean... <laughs> Or for Jagerbomb, for that matter. It's <laughs> fair. Fair. Uh, anything else you want to address, Zach, before you take us out with our song? No, I think we're good. Should we... Uh, well, like... we really appreciate Big Heads Podcast Network for uh, letting us maintain and be here. And uh, if you can't, find us on the website, which is www.fromthebacktees.com. You can find me only on Twitter, at Looper one that's the number one, and um, that's all I got. I got no plugs except uh, the hole in where my tooth used to be. That's fair. All right, we're out of here. Now you get to hear this great song. What do you think's coming? Uh, it's not Gloria, so take it away, buddy. Beautiful. Don't talk over it. <laughs> <laughs>